Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this week's episode of the People, Places, Planet Podcast, and happy World Wetlands Day. My name is Sarah Vacker, and I'm your host. In this episode, we celebrate ELI's wetlands program. Wetlands are critical ecosystems that provide numerous benefits for people and wildlife and are integral to the culture and economy of local communities. Wetlands benefits include flood protection, resilient infrastructure, carbon storage, and increased water quality. So what is a wetland? In the environmental field, Wetlands are typically defined as areas of land that are either covered by or saturated with water. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency describes wetlands as transition zones where the flow of water, the cycling of nutrients, and the energy of the sun meet to produce a unique ecosystem characterized by hydrology, soils, and vegetation, making these areas very important features of a watershed. EPA has also heralded wetlands as among the most productive ecosystems in the world, comparable to rainforests and coral reefs. Unfortunately, wetlands are rapidly disappearing, with an estimated 35% of the world's wetlands lost between 1970 to 2015. In this episode, I'm joined by Rebecca Kisslinger, ELI's Senior Science and Policy Analyst and the Director of Wetlands Programs, as well as staff attorney Tess Wilkerson and research associate Jesse Ferrioli to discuss how ELI is helping to prevent wetlands losses and achieve an overall gain of wetlands across the United States. Jesse, Tess, and Becky, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on, Sarah. So to start off, I don't think we can talk about wetlands without talking about the Supreme Court's decision in Sackett versus EPA. So what has the Sackett decision meant for wetlands and for wetlands protection work? This Supreme Court decision, the Sackett decision, will really have significant repercussions for wetland and wetland protection across the country. And I think it makes our work at ELI all the more important now. In short, the sort of simplest, most basic explanation of the decision is that many wetlands that we formerly understood to be under federal protection or under the regulatory program of the Clean Water Act probably no longer are. States and then local governments are then left to pick up the slack or fill in the gaps of that regulatory program. And as you might guess from that, that means there's likely to be a patchwork of wetland protection and regulation across the country. And as Tess is going to explain in a bit, we are keeping a really close eye on that state level and local level protection. Thanks, Becky, for providing insight into what the regulatory context looks like. So I'd love for our listeners to learn a little bit more about the ELI Wetlands Program and what kind of work we're doing. Sure, of course. I love to talk about it. We like to say, or I like to say, that our Wetlands Program provides timely, balanced information on wetland law, science, policy, and management. So in other words, we see ourselves as sort of serving as a resource center for local governments, for state governments and federal programs on important wetland related topics like Clean Water Act jurisdiction and opportunities for strategic restoration and conservation of wetland ecosystems and streams and floodplains for things like community resilience and hazard mitigation. 
So we think of our work sort of falling in three buckets. The first of our buckets is the research bucket. Those are our research and analysis projects, kind of what we do sitting on our desks. It involves digging into laws and policies and plans, management programs, lots of interviews, with an eye towards providing information and tools that state governments and local programs and federal wetlands programs can use to aid in their program development and implementation of their programs. Some of our recent examples that we're going to talk a little bit more about today include a review of state wetland programs and state wetland regulatory programs. We're also the leading research institution that's evaluating compensatory mitigation or the required offsets to adverse impacts to wetlands that are permitted under the Clean Water Act. The second bucket that we see of our wetland work in our wetland program is convening stakeholders. We offer a forum for diverse interests and stakeholders in the wetlands community to discuss, to resolve timely issues on wetlands protection. For example, we frequently hold trainings and workshops for conservation groups and wetland groups and other stakeholders on wetland-related topics. One of our recent projects involves holding a series of workshops on integrating remote sensing and other new technologies in wetland programs, which is really exciting. Jesse's going to talk a little bit about some of our other recent work, working on building partnerships among wetland agencies and natural resource agencies and the hazard mitigation planners in order to build projects that provide community resilience. It's a real focus of our work right now. And the final bucket is our education and outreach bucket. And the primary program we have in this bucket is our National Wetlands Awards Program. ELI has administered, in collaboration with the federal agency, this awards program for 35 years. This year, we're celebrating our 35th anniversary. The program honors individual wetland heroes who have done extraordinary work in wetland conservation, wetland science, management, community engagement, education, And our primary goal with this program is to increase awareness of the importance of wetlands and these ecosystems among the community and the public. Thanks, Becky, for providing that overview. So let's start by discussing the first bucket of research. ELI's staff attorney, Tess Wilkerson, is here to discuss ELI's past wetlands research. Tess, can you please speak to ELI's wetlands research? Sure. ELI has developed an extensive body of research. One recent example is ELI's Filling the Gaps report, which examined the regulatory strategies that states and tribes can use to determine whether and how to keep up with shifting coverage for waters that are not protected by federal law. This report was a companion piece to the Environmental Law Reporter article titled State Protection of Non-Federal Waters, Turbidity Continues which analyzed several states' and tribes' ability to respond to changes in Clean Water Act coverage of the waters within their borders. In developing the Filling the Gaps report, ELI researched all state programs to discern where protections for at least some non-federally protected waters currently exist, specifically focusing on dredge and fill programs. These reports are particularly relevant because they were developed in part in anticipation of an unfavorable U.S. Supreme Court decision, which was ultimately delivered in May of 2023. As Becky mentioned before, the Supreme Court held in Sackett versus EPA that the Clean Water Act extends federal protection to only those waters that are described in ordinary parlance as streams, oceans, rivers, and lakes, and to wetlands only if those wetlands have a continuous surface connection to such waters, making it difficult to determine where the water ends and where the wetland begins. 
In doing so, the court dismissed the significant nexus test, which had been employed to determine which waters qualified for federal protection under the Clean Water Act. This test asked whether the waters or wetlands in question had a significant nexus to traditionally navigable waters if they either alone or in combination with similarly situated lands in the region significantly affect the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of such waters. If the answer to this inquiry was yes, then federal jurisdiction over the waters or wetland applied. Now, after Sackett, the inquiry as to whether wetland is covered under the Clean Water Act does not turn on whether the wetland has a significant nexus to a traditionally navigable water, but rather if the wetland has a continuous surface connection to such covered waters, such that the two or more are indistinguishable. Critics of this opinion have argued that this newly articulated test, which essentially turns on whether a wetland physically touches a traditionally navigable water, flatly ignores scientific consensus on the interconnectedness of wetlands and the bodies of water that together make up a watershed. Wetlands that do not meet this visual test are now unprotected under the Clean Water Act. Against this backdrop, states and tribes are now left to administer their respective wetland regulatory regimes without the pre-Sackett federal floor of protection. Some states will remain largely unaffected. These are states that have existing programs that confer the same or nearly the same level of pre-Sackett protection. Others will need to work quickly to obtain staff and financial resources to develop a regulatory regime that offers wetland protection comparable to the pre-Sackett landscape. And others, too, that have voiced agreement with the Sackett decision are expected to take a hands-off approach, potentially leaving large swaths of wetlands without any protection at all. So following the landmark Sackett decision, ELI convened several legal and policy experts to analyze the consequences of this decision in a breaking news public webinar. Panelists discussed the potential impacts to the Clean Water Act Section 404 dredge and fill permitting requirements for wetlands that do not have a continuous surface connection to other covered waters. An article describing this webinar is available through the Environmental Well Reporter, and a recording of this webinar is also available on ELI's website. And then in a somewhat of a companion piece, ELI hosted another webinar to discuss the EPA and Army Corps of Engineers conforming rule that defines waters of the United States aligned with what the Supreme Court set forth in Sackett. In this webinar, ELI tapped agency, tribal, and industry experts to discuss the conforming rule and its regulatory and policy consequences. So these research and convening efforts served as a coda to ELI's 2023 wetlands updates. However, we will be working diligently throughout 2024 to track the status of state and tribal wetland programs in light of this new federal regulatory landscape. Thanks so much, Tess. It's really great to finally understand the Sackett decision. So now let's dive more into ELI's efforts to convene stakeholders and to develop and identify model approaches. Becky, can you speak to this second bucket? So one place that we are really focusing our efforts on the convening bucket is our work on scaling up the use of natural infrastructure or wetland restoration for community resilience. And ELI has worked in this area for a long time. We're working with partners and communities across the country to identify opportunities to expand the use of conservation and restoration and natural infrastructure as hazard mitigation strategies with a real focus on facilitating collaboration among wetland and wildlife managers, emergency managers, hazard mitigation planners, community resilience folks to explore how they might work more closely together. We've done this through a lot of workshops. We had a series of workshops in the upper Midwest about 10 years ago. We also have created a number of reports and guides intended 
to identify opportunities for these groups to work together. And more recently, we've been working really closely with state and tribal wetland programs and conservation groups to identify opportunities for them to use the tools and methodologies they have developed to leverage this capacity from the natural resource context to prioritize conservation and restoration projects in a hazard mitigation or community resilience context. And so Jesse's going to talk more about that in our recent convening on the subject. As Becky has said, we're working to convene wetlands and natural resource agencies and organizations with hazard mitigation planners and emergency managers to identify opportunities for these groups to work together on mutual goals. Hazard mitigation are the actions that are taken to reduce or mitigate the risk to human life and property from future disasters. FEMA requires that all state and local governments create hazard mitigation plans in order to be eligible for FEMA hazard mitigation grant funds. There has been increasing interest in the use of nature-based solutions, such as the restoration of wetlands and floodplains, to reduce future risk while also meeting conservation and restoration goals. For example, restoring wetlands can provide water storage during episodes of extreme rain, thereby reducing flood risk, but also provide recreational co-benefits and critical wildlife habitat. We think that involving technical experts from the natural resource agencies in the hazard mitigation planning and project implementation process can be crucial for filling information gaps, helping to more fully identify risks, and aiding in the identification and prioritization of viable nature-based mitigation actions to address those risks. State wetlands agencies are a natural partner in this effort. So at ELI, we've been looking into ways to create partnerships between natural resource experts and hazard mitigation professionals to meet these shared goals. And one way we've done this is by facilitating a two-day workshop that convened experts and professionals from natural resource agencies, FEMA, state and local emergency management agencies, and NGOs to discuss how we can integrate existing tools and methodologies created by natural resource professionals into the FEMA hazard mitigation planning process. We realize that there's so many amazing resources, organizations, and plans out there already that can be leveraged in this hazard mitigation context. We need to bring the right people into conversations, provide more information to local decision makers on why and how nature-based projects can be implemented in hazard mitigation, and figure out how to get the tools and expertise into the hands of hazard mitigation planners. Easy stuff. No, but in all seriousness, our workshop identified that while there are great methodologies for prioritizing and citing wetlands restoration, the major barrier to implementation is capacity. Capacity is needed to apply for funding, to figure out what nature-based projects are at that scale, are feasible at that scale, and to implement, monitor, and assess the projects. So that's where we're at right now. Great. Thanks, Jesse and Becky. We have heard so far about the ELI Wetlands program work on research and convenings. Now let's turn to the important work that ELI does on raising awareness of the importance of wetlands. As Becky mentioned previously, the National Wetlands Awards is a centerpiece of ELI's work on wetlands education. And last year, I was involved in the planning and hosting of the 2023 National Wetlands Awards. And I received the opportunity to meet all the amazing winners. And they had really inspiring stories and had done some really incredible work. I wish I could speak about all six winners, but for the sake of time, I'll just highlight the local stewardship recipient, Scott Fisher. Scott has been working for the Hawaii Land Trust, 
which covers 19,500 acres of protected land. Scott leads all aspects of the ecological restoration and land protection work conducted by the Land Trust. What I really loved about Scott's approach was that he makes sure to center community involvement in all his efforts, and he helps to inspire in others a love and care for the land. So for more about past winners and to hear stories like this, please be sure to check out our website and also give a listen to the People, Places, Planet podcast miniseries on last year's six incredible winners. So to end our discussion, I'd love to ask you, Becky, what do you see as the future for ELI's wetlands protection work? Thanks, Sarah. I do see ELI continuing to build on our longstanding tradition of providing a resource to the wetlands community, and that remains really important to us in our program. But I think especially in light of the second decision that we've talked about and the increasing understanding of how wetland ecosystems are critical for helping communities address the impacts of climate change, I see sort of two important areas of growth for us and things that we're really going to focus on moving forward. And the first is that it's even more important now that we use our work and our resources and our talent, as you've heard today, to help increase awareness of the importance of wetlands and these crucial ecosystems. I think in general, most people don't really understand the critical role these habitats play on the landscape, although many people have experienced the impacts of wetland loss with increased downstream flooding and those sorts of impacts with climate change. So we're already thinking about ways for us to use our work and our capacity to increase awareness of the importance of wetlands. And one way we're going to do that is through our Wetlands Awards program. And we're going to be rolling out more on that soon. And the second area that we see as a real focus for the future is our work to support the momentum around scaling up the use of natural infrastructure or the restoration and conservation of wetlands as climate resilient strategies. And you've heard a lot about that from us today. But we're really looking at how we can support communities to develop more of these projects. How can we build the capacity at the local level? A central focus of that work will continue to be building partnerships among the wetland-focused agencies, the natural resource agencies, and the agencies and organizations working on hazard mitigation and climate resilience. To address these big challenges that we're facing, we need to ensure that all these tools, not just our research, our convening capacity, but the best science out there, the tools developed by the natural resource agencies, the best practices are being utilized and that we're leveraging all those tools to make the most of that capacity. So by growing and leveraging our partnerships in the field, we can ensure that the work to restore wetlands and to protect these vital ecosystems continues into the future. And we remain committed at ELI to using all of our tools to see that happen. Well, thank you, Becky, Tess, and Jesse, for having such an inspiring and informative conversation on wetlands today. And thank you for helping us to celebrate World Wetlands Day. Thanks so much for having us, Sarah. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at eli.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.